know, we can no longer count on the security of our air bases. We can no longer count on going into the joint fight the way we write about it and the way we kind of teach about it because the enemy always gets a vote. So agile combat employment is our response to the realities of the world. As a reminder to listeners, all topics discussed are unclassified and views expressed by guests or hosts are not necessarily the position of the United States Air Force or the Department of Defense. Welcome back to the Deciphering Doctrine podcast. My name is Captain Moyal. And I am Captain Corriero. We will be your hosts as we interview our guests, Chief Master Sergeant Kerry Thompson and Mr. Casey Brooks to discuss the concept of agile combat employment through the lens of our defenders. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Please tell us a little bit about yourselves. Hey, first off, I want to say thanks, Captain, for inviting me to this. This is, uh, you know, this is those opportunities I would never pass up. So thanks again. Uh, um, real quick, I'm uh, Chief Master Sergeant Kerry Thompson. I've uh, enlisted in the Air Force back in 1995 as a security policeman prior to the uh, Security Forces merger in 97. Um, this is assignment number 15. Currently, I sit as the uh, senior enlisted leader at the 42nd Security Forces Squadron here on Maxwell. Um, and um, my assignments have taken me to every major command we have to offer except for Air Force Special Operations Command. So um, I'm also a shred. I have uh, experienced military working dogs, uh, deployment time in absent and Southcom, over 10 deployments. So um, that's a little bit about me, unless you want to know anything else there. Yeah. Oh, you're good. Right. Mr. Brooks. All right. I'm uh, Casey Brooks. I am a retired Security Forces officer, former commander, uh, also privileged to have entered the Security Forces as a security policeman there back in 1994, so got you by a year. And uh, yeah, after a long and varied career, many deployments, lived around the world, served in every command except uh, Air Force Global Strike. Oh, okay. So I actually have no nuclear experience. I'm gonna leave all that to the chief. But uh, after retiring from the Air Force, uh, I was privileged to get an opportunity to become a cyber expert as well as teach joint ops and today, I'm joining you because I actually work in the Air Force Doctrine Office and recently was able to help craft our force protection uh, doctrine, but primarily I'm also working on uh, cybersecurity. So it's a real privilege to be able to speak to the folks out there about ACE and force protection. So uh, Mr. Brooks, since you work in the Doctrine Office, can you give a background on Agile Combat Employment and what it is? Well, yeah, no pressure. Uh, so the Air Force, is realizing that the world is shifting, that you know we can no longer count on the security of our air bases. We can no longer count on going into the joint fight the way we write about it and the way we kind of teach about it because the enemy always gets a vote. So agile combat employment is our response to the realities of the world. If we need to continue to generate combat power, you know, combat air power has to put warheads on foreheads. We're going to sometimes have to do that from locations we weren't planning on because as the adversaries have developed their capabilities and their range, they can reach our air bases. This has been a thing from almost the advent of the airplane is, you know, how are we going to get into the fight? Well, today's fight is going to be really kinetic, really fast, very technological, and we as an Air Force have got to find a way to continue to operate, to continue to, to bring the pain, even when the adversary you know, gets on Google Earth and finds out where your airbase was last located in the 1950s and, you know, being these slow, immovable objects that they are, it'll still be there. So how are we going to get our forces into the air? Well, ACE is a methodology. That's the most important thing to remember. It isn't 
a tactic. It isn't a strategy. It is a methodology. How we're going to employ our forces to get out there, calculate, or sorry, complicate the adversary's targeting solution, make sure that we've got options for launching. So in a nutshell, what ACE is, is something I think as security forces, we go back to calling bear base operations. Um, back in, during the Cold War, you would see dispersed bases all across Europe. And the idea was, you know, if and when the balloon went off, we were gonna have to operate out of every one of those locations just to be able to preserve our combat power. So in a way, ACE is a little bit of back to the future. So why now? Why are we looking at this implementation and development of agile combat employment in our current environment? Um, I believe uh, I, that I couldn't have said it any better than that, sir. That was amazing. Um, I really believe that um, what we've seen um, from my position, what I've seen from my foxhole over the last 20 some odd years of, uh, of war is that um, we haven't had that type of homeland uh, um, a type of homeland threat because of the tyranny of the distance that we're afforded because of the homeland. Now with this new cyber fight we have right now, I mean like the, the war is here, the war is, there, is right here at our doorsteps. So how do we get away from, get that resource out of that threat area? And uh, you know, for me, I, I really believe this is the right way to go about it. Um, and I think the biggest thing I'd like to, uh, I'd like to impart when it comes to the ACE Doctrine is the education piece. Um, as you asked the uh, uh, Mr. Brooks about, uh, you know, can you get, break that down for us? That's educating me as we sit here on that. So uh, I'd really like to uh, make sure that we are all getting educated on what that ACE doctrine is. Yeah, so speaking about education and kind of the, the evolution of ACE doctrine, um, from an education standpoint, what... Uh, like currently, what is a defender doing on a daily basis and how would this differ as ACE progresses into the future? So um, full disclosure, I sit inside of a just a regular um, base side line security forces unit. And um, we have our, uh, I think one of the more important parts that we do is uh, when we're ginning up our teams to show that, a, um, you know, for the next couple of years, these are the AOs that we're going to deploy to. These are the areas of operations we're going to operate out of um, is to get the intelligence piece. And so uh, inside of just the regular security forces units, a lot of conversations being had on having our, our S2 Intel folks continuously tell us about, you know, upcoming threats, perceived threats. Um, those, uh, uh, those Intel guys, I think uh, one thing that we've started to ask um, as we've uh, walked through this is not only where the destination is that our guys go through, but I think it's very important that we talk to our guys about some of the areas that they transit on the way. And I think that also rolls into the ACE piece, like when those, uh, those resources are being dispersed, uh, as Mr. Brooks talked about before, um, as they're being dispersed, um, it's not just the destination we're going to. I also want those guys to really concentrate on some of the areas that they transit through as well. Sure. But that's what we do inside of, uh, you know, some of the training we spin up, just the education piece. I really believe it's a force, force multiplier. I do. Um, it, because, you know, you're not getting the man part of resources to try to go there. So you've got to figure out how, how are you going to multiply the force? And I believe education is the key. Sure. I'm going to take off my Air Force DD hat. I'm going to put on my retired cop hat. Um, to your question of why are we emphasizing this now, um, I think all you need to do is Google... Eastern Europe, Ukraine, Russia, whatever you want to call it. Right now, there's a fight on. And that fight is, much as the historians will tell you, 
The Civil War was a harbinger. It was telling the rest of the world what was coming, and they weren't paying any attention. We at the Doctrine Center, but us old retirees who have to watch you guys deal with this, would really like you to learn the lesson. You're being given an opportunity to understand what the war of the future is going to look like. And it's not going to be chivalrous, and it's not going to be slow. It is not the Battle of the Bulge. You know, it is more the Marianas turkey shoot. So I say ace, we're emphasizing it now because we're actually trying to lean forward and get the force ready for the fight that's coming. Now, as an old cop commander, I will tell you, what does a cop have to do differently or how would we operate in the ace concept versus what we do? Uh, spoiler alert, your job doesn't change. As a cop, your job is to protect the base. Whether you are protecting the base home station from you know, vandals, teenagers, whatever we may do, or you're downrange in the fire zone getting the indirect or having to worry about whether or not there's going to be green on blue, uh, your job doesn't change. Now, what changes are the tools and your ROE? And that's something that we'll emphasize along the way is that, hey, cops, whether you're operating at a fixed location downrange or you're operating at an austere location or what we would call in ACE doctrine a contingency location, you're still going to be doing the cop thing. Even when you are designated as a multi-capable airman, you are still going to be primarily responsible for putting rounds down range when the threats emerge. You know, and the threats are great and vast and spanning a wide spectrum of capabilities. And one of the things I've always respected about our defenders is we really truly ask them to be ready to deal with almost anything. You know, force protection doctrine talks about level one, two, and three threats. And as a security policeman, um, before the Air Force kind of had its collective stuff together, we trained at Fort Dix under Army Infantry Basic. Uh, and so we were expected to deal with indirect fire from mortars, indirect fire from guns, lobbing grenades rolling around. I mean, the, the spectrum of threats that security forces are supposed to be able to deal with, but then turn around and do the law enforcement mission. It's, I've always had just the greatest awe for our folks because they got to they flip on a dime um, and then we tell them, all right, now put on your HUA gear, get on the plane, and you're going to go, you know, play infantry. So yeah. it's it's an amazing thing, but their job isn't going to change. You're still going to be a defender no matter where you go. So how do we adequately prepare our defenders to operate in that domain? Because I would argue a lot of current day-to-day -day operations in a security forces line unit are very checklist-driven, laid out, and there is not as much critical thinking expected of our defenders as they would potentially have to execute in an ACE environment or scheme of maneuver. And we spoke about education, so how would you see our commanders in the field and our schoolhouses preparing our defenders for that environment? Yeah, that's a great question, sir. It is. And uh, I, I, you, I don't know if the right terms say struck a nerve, but you hit me right in the heart on that one. That's uh, that's one of the things that, um, you know, as we in my senior enlisted, uh, my senior enlisted role, um, even with some of our chiefs across the force, we constantly talk about with the, uh, you know, making sure our guys are critical thinkers when it comes to that. Um, so for for me, uh, one thing I will say about like how we prepare those guys for that right there is almost something that's coming down right now. Our uh, career field has seen that need, as uh, Mr. Brooks talked about, bear base ops. Our career field has seen that need to where we need to get back to that. I think the term everybody uses is back to the basics, but um, back to the air base ground defense piece. Um, as Mr. Brooks was saying about like you know, um, the hats, 
that we wear when it comes to law enforcement based security um there is being a there is a big emphasis now on re-energizing our guys when it comes to air-based defense um so the also i believe uh I believe the education piece again when it comes to understanding the risk that you're allowed to take to push those guys to be ready for that next near peer adversary wherever that's at in this ace construct um, inside of these line units to say you know what cool I, I really un I totally got it check on what's needed right now to meet these certain requirements these checklist items are coming down however I have time and I'm going to create time to get these guys ready for that next one you know uh, I hope that answers your question sir but um, yeah it the checklist driven uh, critical thinking those two things like they're not synonymous with each other i really think that like we lean too much onto that you know um, everybody wants to see an instruction laid out in front of them on how to operate inside of that environment i like what, the way mr brooks put it when he said uh your job's not going to change defend the base defend the base defend the resources defend the resource you know i'm gonna flip it back on you captain actually uh sitting where you are happy to sit what do you see as the requirement of the Air Force for our defenders? Do they recognize a need for them to be more ACE-minded or more, you know, uh, ABGD-minded, which is Airbase Ground Defense for those who the acronym? Uh, what do you think, sitting at the policy level? I think we're identifying that requirement now, and, and we know it exists. Our technical training focuses around a lot of Airbase Ground Defense concepts. But when we get to our home stations, we don't necessarily train those skills and take the risks necessary to prepare our people. We say they, they've been trained on it, but it's a perishable skill. Yeah, if, if I came out of technical training five years ago and I'm a staff sergeant, do I still understand troop leading procedures, how to execute an operation order? And sure, I can go to the combat leaders course and get a refresher on those skills. But what happens two years later, Again, as you said, when we deploy in that agile combat employment environment, and how do we sharpen those skills? Is it through wing level exercises, unit level exercises? But there's a demand on security forces at home units where they're working 12, 14 hour shifts, but still expected to maintain that air based ground defense mindset. That's hard to do when you're a defender checking IDs 12 hours at a gate. That's so true. Um, Captain Correa, what do you think your defenders need to be able to do for you downrange? You know, as we're sitting here talking about training, and I know from the air, you probably have no idea what those guys go through, but what do you expect of them? What are you looking for? Sure, I think as a pilot, um, you know, an example that I would think of is if I go to some obscure location in a you know multi-crewed airplane and we have a lot of different things that could happen like weather being one of them right losing an engine having an emergency situation and i have to divert somewhere that nobody knows the groundwork the layout being able to to look at all crew members you know to the right and left of me and making sure that everybody knows how to do their job both securing the aircraft when we land um, being able to defend the perimeter, making sure that we're looking for any adversaries or anything like that, because it's really just, you know, the air crew and the defenders at that point, right? So making sure everyone could know the procedures and the tactics laid out, but be able to have that outside of the box thinking mm -hmm. and saying, hey, there's no procedure for this and being able to do whatever we have to do to, to secure that jet and make sure everyone gets home safely. Right. And, you know, I've always talked to my defenders about the, uh, extreme fragility of our, our airframes 
while they're on the ground. Uh, and that was always something I enjoyed, you know, taking a young lieutenant or an airman or saying, okay, what is that big hunk of metal? And you're like, well, that's a, da, 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 da. yeah, I'm like, it's a huge target right now. And your job is to keep the extra holes from showing up in it. Uh, but we are training our airmen to manage gate time. We're training our airmen to not collect Article 15s, you know, like Pokemon cards. We are training our airmen to do a lot of things. And then we're also taking them and sending them away for a couple of months and saying, okay, now you're a soldier. Then we'll take them down range and we'll say, all right, you're a soldier, but you know, you better get that PT test done or you better make sure, you know, as the old joke, you gotta have that reflective belt on. I don't care what the enemy says, all right? Uh, we are sending a lot of mixed signals to our defenders about their role and their job. And that comes from policy, that comes from risk management. Um, within the ACE construct, we really are gonna have to start thinking about the idea of fighting. And our defenders are gonna be at the, at the front of that fight, you know. All respect to our pilots, but until your big hunk of metal gets six inches off the ground, you really need our guys to do their job and do it well. So I think that definitely covers what our defenders are looking for. I just really, really, really want to say from an education standpoint, Chief, the defender is going to have to start taking an interest in his own safety slash knowledge. Um, one of the great assignments in my career that I, I, I was lucky to work uh, in the Intel community, and I remember getting access to Cipronet, JWICs, things like that, and just looking around and finding out, wow, there are a lot of threats. There are a lot of really nasty threats in the world. And um, they're not going to come to us through the traditional channels. So our defenders need to start taking an active role in, in learning what your threats are, categorizing those threats. Um, guess what? It's highly unlikely that, you know, the next conflict's going to take place in downtown San Antonio. So you might want to learn something other than Spanish. Uh, you may want to understand adversary weapons. Recently had an opportunity to work with some members of the air staff, and they said they're actively working to get our defenders into some kind of weapons school where they can sit and learn how to, you know, break down and use uh, foreign weapons, or at the very least be familiar. You know, I'm a little bit of a gun nut. I can tell you I've taken an AK-47 apart. Um, have many of our defenders thought about the reality that they may have to get out there and figure out how to fire a javelin, or, you know, God forbid, which, what's the pointy end of uh, an RPG-7? What's an RKG-12? Um, our business, though we're in the Air Force, is ground defense. But if the only thing you ever learn how to do is employ your M4, you know, dig a DFP, and, and hope that you make it on the airplane that's getting out, then I don't think you're, you're setting yourself up for success. That, that's a message I'd love to bring across today is you defenders take a lot of interest in your profession. Get out there and learn to be a professional infantry officer or an infantry sergeant because guess what? That is what you're going to be in the ACE construct. So how do we go about doing that? Understanding that we have to take some initiative on ourselves to do it. But in terms of time and effort and how do we equip our personnel from a policy or staff level down to the, the unit level and the commander's enable our defenders to do that because it's easy to say that a defender should be able to go do those things but you're working panama 12s taking your pt test training days and expected to volunteer and ex execute the whole airman concept mm 
and do those things that will build your records, etc. So what can we do as an Air Force to better enable our defenders to be prepared for that threat? You know, I sometimes I, I love to like pull the pin on the grenade and leave it, but we have an entire group of folks who know how to do all that stuff. They've got lessons, they've got trainers. It's called the 820th. They know how to do the job. Maybe the service needs to look at utilizing their knowledge and skills a lot better, you know, get it out to the, the general force. We have some just stone cold trained killers out there, but you know, knowledge is power, so you gotta share it. Yeah, I think um, that's a hell of a question, sir. Like, um, you know, I've been sitting there and I'm like, you know, running around in my nugget, you know, previous to this assignment, running ops up there in Minot, you know, Air Force Global Strike. Um, and a big emphasis, those guys understand that mission behind them. Um, I think the mindset piece we haven't really like nailed yet. You know, um, I really believe this whole ACE concept, as Mr. Brooks said earlier, it's not new, you know, uh, for us, especially like, you know, between our flyaway security teams, they do that for a living. Our Raven guys, they do that for a living. As he just alluded to with the um, 820 base defense group, those guys do that for a living. We've got the guys, we've got the knowledge. Um, but Captain Wild, you bring up a hell of a point, like how do we create the space for the other guys, you know? Um, because believe it or not, like what, you know, after you, you invited me to this, I start, you know, running these uh, scenarios around in my head. What's one thing that I would want folks to know about the regular line unit that I'm responsible for in the ACE concept is that those guys in these regular line units are the ones that's going to have to do that mission. You know, they're the ones that's going to like the 820th is real finite. Um, those Ravens, that's a real, uh, that's a real small crew of guys. Um, but for that big muscle move for you, uh, Captain C, to get your aircraft secured out there, it's going to be these guys that I have with me right now. So how how do I get them ready for that? And uh, one thing, I wrote a note when you said that about uh, educating yourself. And, you know, um, I just, it, it took me back to Staff Sergeant Thompson, you know, K-9 handler. This was OEF, OIF at the beginning when everything was all in flux. You know, they're trying to figure out if we can even put armor on Humvee, that type of thing. And one thing that just tore my ass was, excuse sorry. Um, one thing that just got me was why do I need someone else to help me train? I know what I'm going into. I can do it. You know, I need to do it myself. And I'll, um, um, in, in that mindset, I had to have a mindset shift to want to go out there and be better. You know, and uh, I believe it's easy, easy said for my position. I know what I'm the chief. I'm the chief in the unit, you know, um, easy said for my position. But I think we need to refocus our guys that it's a mindset that you need to understand that that threat is real. Cool. Got it. You know, this thing is hard. 12, 14 hours is hard. We're down here in South Central Alabama. The heat's going to hit you. You know, um, you know, you're not going inside. Cool. Got it. But I think the mindset we need to educate for me, the uh, conversation I have with our senior CEOs, hey, we need to manage their expectations a little bit better. Um, you know, I understand like the Air Force wants everybody to be in a nice eight hour shift. They want you to like, you know, um, be on the same line with any other career field. But one thing that I tell my guys is we're different. You know, whether that's right or wrong, guys, we're a little bit different. You know, um, I'm meal to meal. My wife's for support. But I will walk into her office every day and say, tell my wife we're a little bit different. You know, um, because, Mr. Brooke, you, when you were coming through, sir, you know, you go out into any you go into any office right now. You go into any office on this base and you have some A1C there and they're like, you know, in a controlled environment. They have an issue. They're going to turn around, ask Staff Sergeant, whoever the hell, hey, can you help me out? And then staff starts going to come to the desk and help out. 
security force is a little bit different. You're going to grab two A1Cs and go throw them out in the middle of nowhere, even on a, on a base like this, in the backside of base on a post. Those two defenders are going to look at each other and say, like, uh, I may rank this day. You may rank that day. I'm leading. I got this. And those guys are going to move out, you know. And, uh, and I think, that, like, that's something that I believe personally that we have failed our troops to make those guys understand that they're just a little bit different. You know, that job is going to be a little bit hard. That trip out to the desert is going to be a little bit tougher than what you're used to hearing your peer group say, you know. Um, and so I believe the 12 hour shift. Yep. Check. Got it. The uh, the PT test. Yep. Check. Got it. But guess what we're going to do? We're going to still move. Is that the right answer? I don't know. But I believe that that's the answer we need to put in front of our guys. Um, I believe that's the, the mindset we need to get them in. It, like it's tough. You know, and I know you're tracking with me. You're looking at me like, Chief, I got it. I got you, sir. You know. So that brings the next question to me, to mind. Speaking of empowering our troops um, and mission command, we talk about mission command as officers and senior non-commissioned officers. Are we putting enough trust and empowering our non-commissioned officers and senior non-commissioned officers and airmen to execute this mission? So they're prepared to do what we're asking them to do in an agile combat employment environment. Trust. Yeah, trust. Um, you know, I, you said something earlier, Mr. Brooks, and it, it made me think about both sides of our neck, talking out of both sides of our mouth. Yeah. You know, we talk about it a lot. You know, like, I'm, I trust you to do XXX, but then I turn around tomorrow and be like, hey, where is XXX, you know? Um, you know, and it's uh, it's easy for me to say what I'm doing, what my peer group, what my my year, what we're doing. It's easy for me to say that, but um, I understand that it's not everywhere. You know, I understand that certain commands are going to demand a little bit, like a little bit more oversight than what uh, AETC would. You know, um, so if you're asking me, do I believe that the the trust is? There? I believe it's been said. I do. I believe it's been talked about. Um, but in in theory and practice, do I see it executed at my ground level? Not all the time, no, sir. You know, um, I'll be 100% honest with you on that one. Yep. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't continue to try to do it, you know. Um, so I hope that answers your question. That's a but, great answer. Yeah. I'd say this. How do we display trust to our airmen? I want you to take this gun. I want you to take that post. I want you to make sure you protect our base. I would also like you to sign this dangerous activities form so that in the event you go away this weekend and mess yourself up, I can't personally be held responsible. Ask me how many times I've had to do that. Both sides of your mouth. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, as a commander, I had to do, I was fortunate, I only had to do one death notification. But, you know, we trust. We trust a lot. But sometimes things do not work. Things go wrong. And mission command is all about giving your subordinates the ability you know, to, to take risk on your path. Uh, in the ACE concept, we really discuss mission command of the idea when you're cut off, you're going to be able to take your commander's intent, you're going to go forward. Now, those of us in the doctrine office, we do sit there and go, well, that works great for the cops, but our, you know, our pilots, we don't give them a lot of leeway to, to execute the ATO on their own. Uh, it's a very complex process involving you know, a lot of coordination measures to ensure you don't get shot out of the sky by our own forces. So when we talk about mission command, I think the service has a, a lot of work still to do to translate that to the majority of the force. But I'll talk about the cops. The five paragraph op order is something that we teach them from day one. 
guess what? They understand mission command. They get their situation, they get their mission, they know what their execution is, they got their command and signal, and let's go, let's do this thing, all right? But because we are focused on small unit tactics, and we have an area to defend, and we may have multiple objectives, mission command works for cops. So congratulations, defenders, you're actually ahead of the curve on this one. Um, yeah, we, we do mission command all day long. You know, what is centralized command? That's, that's your squadron commander, or that's your BDOC. What is decentralized execution? That's your squads, you know? And I wanna make sure that our guys understand you're already doing ACE. What's going to change is where you do ACE, okay? We have established a kind of a history of dealing with, uh, we call it deployed ops, you know, not really bear base because we're just not doing enough of that, I think. We're not training enough with live fire. Mm -hmm. I think those are things that, you know, hey guys, there is going to come a time where your only concern is not going to be VBIEDs, right? Um, yeah. I've been through so many schools, I'll be honest. Uh, area security ops was probably one of the best ones I ever went through. Uh, where we actually got to do a lot more live fire training out of the truck. And that was what we used to do, we do down at Desert Defender. Yeah. Okay, um, our guys actually deploying out of a truck, shooting stuff. Trusting that airman that he was paying attention and not sleeping through the course where we talked about fields of fire and, you know, listening to your commands. And then you give them live ammo and you go out there and you tell them, okay, now let's see what you can do. It's an eye-opener for a lot of guys. First time you throw a grenade, you know, and you recognize that you really better throw it far. Um, and it's nothing like the movies, but, you know, I'm putting a lot of trust in that guy after you step back and the pin comes out. Or you give him an M2, you know, you give him a 203 and you say, okay, now I want you to angle this up and you're just hoping that's not the moment he sneezes and everybody's having a bad day. So we put a lot of trust in these guys. Um, from a mission command element, you know, I've got uh, 17 outside the wire missions and I can tell you, my sergeant understood the intent. And if anything happened to somebody, they understood the next phase of the mission. So for cops, I think mission command is something inherent in what we do all the time. Uh, whether or not we can teach that to the greater services, you know, you know, we're here to help. But from a doctrine standpoint, I would love to see more members of the flying community and other things really dig in. You know, doctrine can give you the, the guideposts. There's a reason it's not authoritative, it's not directive, is because doctrine teaches you about best practices, lessons learned. So we're showing you that you need to develop a way to continue the mission. But in our highly technological Air Force with uh, pinpoint precision and, you know, exacting timing, you can't see to the pants this thing. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, well, we're going to go on mission type orders, but it's another thing to really understand. Um, you know, Captain Correo, your, your bird is notoriously finicky when it runs out of fuel. So this is true. Yeah. Uh, so it, you got to make sure that you're not winging it too much. Sure. Uh, but everybody depends on you because your platform is incredibly important to the air picture. And uh, I learned uh, when I was stationed in uh, the Pacific there, I learned what a high, de high demand, low density asset is. And that's your bird. Uh, <laughs> those things are incredible. So, yeah, that's my take on Michigan. So I have a I have a question as somebody that, you know, doesn't have the full perspective and maybe it would help with other people listening to the podcast as well. And we talk about trust in our airmen and, you know, training and, and executing properly. For us, one of the things that we do is we have a very extensive debrief mm -hmm. after every mission. I mean, they, our debriefs could be hours long. I mean, over beer on a Friday night, just making sure that we're nitpicking every single detail to improve the next time. And then from like a trust perspective too, if 
you know, if you're a new aircraft commander and your whole crew is new and you go out and do a mission and you do things wrong, right? Usually what ends up happening after that is, with a good leader especially, is they'll, they'll kind of go through a litany and a checklist of trying to get into your mindset of why you did things. Mm -hmm. And maybe it wasn't necessarily what the leader would do because the leader has all of this years of experience, but they'll go to fend for you, right? Hey, uh, I wouldn't have done this in this scenario, sir, but I think given their experience and what they're accountable for and what they know, I probably would have made the same move myself, you know, and, and be able to fight for the younger people taking the airplane up. But for people that aren't familiar from like a defender standpoint, like how does that go in terms of debrief and building trust and having this iterative process of getting better? I'm going to jump and I'm going to say there's only one answer and that's our NCO core. Yeah. Um, because your officers don't have a lot of time to correct every mistake, but I'm going to let the chief take over on how uh, defenders take care of defenders. Yeah, they're, they're so important. The after action, uh, after exercises, after whatever it is, they're so important. Um, and that's something I've been really focused on too, because of uh, inside of any unit, like the chief is always over the standard evaluations, the uh, uh, branch of the, of the unit. So yes, sir. Like, and um, you know, when, as a leader, when you're sitting there and you, as uh, Mr. Brooks talked about the NCOs and you're sitting there and you're watching the debrief go and you're sitting there watching them let them off the hook. And that's when, uh, you know, it's time for the senior enlisted, the, the officer, the CGO to step in like, no, you've got to talk this through. And the uh, reason being because our, our, our business is so dangerous. And um, but we do trust those guys to do that. And they know it, you know, um, our, and it's, it's so wild that we're talking this and it feels so familiar. Like, as you say something like that, we've been doing this, yeah. you know, um, I really think like uh, as uh, the captain was Captain Well was saying earlier about um, just the time. Do we have the time to keep doing like that's what's made our uh, those type of skills, those type of uh, things atrophy a little bit. You know, because, uh, you know, the constant deployments, the shift schedules and all that stuff. But yes, sir, we do it in that, in that trust piece. Um, we trust them to do it and we demand that they do it. Um, and Mr. Mr. Brooks, when you said that about do we trust our guys, but then we're going to fill out some uh, safety form. I was having a conversation with a previous commander um, and we were talking about that. Like, I need you when you come here. You're going to live in a dormitory. You're going to like, you know, uh, you can't have your car yet. You know, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it just it took me down that road right there. Like, are we? Do we really like are we really showing these guys trust inside of this command? There's a form that uh, they used to have to fill out and send like a, it was a pre departure checklist when you go and leave. I think they can get to damn South Louisiana and back just fine on their own, you know. So, you know. but then, Chief, what happens is oh uh, man, somebody <laughs> Airman Snuffy yeah. makes it all the way to Jackson, Mississippi, when he was supposed to be somewhere in San Antonio. <laughs> and it's when your other job takes. Yes. It. You're so right. You're so right. You know, I, I think it's good that we keep it a real conversation, yeah. right? It yeah. shouldn't be but the trust piece. Like, that one, I, I mean, I started scribbling after you said this. I mean, you just you keyed something to me on that one. And you know. Throughout our career, we, the chief brings up something, you know, I, as a commander, expected that if I got the call that my defender shot someone, it was righteous. You know? mm -hmm. I'm not going in there going, you know, ah, what? Mm -hmm. my expectation is the training, the trust, cool. all came together and there was a reason this had to happen. And in many cases across our Air Force, um, both CONUS and OCONUS, when our defenders have had to take a life, guarantee you, it's they did the right thing. Now, you can argue, you know, this thing here, this thing here, but generally they do the job that we ask them to do, and we ask them to be ready to kill. 
So that, that is a big difference between your defender and your force support person or your maintenance person is yes, you may be an augmentee, you may be required to do something, but that defender from the moment he leaves the security forces school until you know, he gets his folded flag you know, one way or the other, your job is to be ready to go in there and take out the adversary, whatever it might be. And, you know, and for us, the adversary is not always wearing a uniform. Yeah, wow. As a matter of fact, you know, personal story, but uh, those uh, six OSI heroes that got blown up in Afghanistan, I knew one of them very personally. He's from this base. Mr. McBride. Yeah, Tr CJ. Yeah. All right, CJ just doing the job, but he, even as a cop, he knew he's, every day you get up, you're going to have to do something. Um, whether that is home station that is deployed or that is in the ACE construct, I still expect you to be ready to do your duty. And uh, I don't think a lot of people sit and think about that. But as commanders, especially as security forces commanders, I mean, you're trusting. You're trusting a lot. You know, that M9 or that M4 and that airman together are a weapon system, <laughs> whether you think so or not. Mm -hmm. um, and that weapon system is fueled by trust and rippets. <laughs> <laughs> rippets. Oh, man, rip a challenge. <laughs> it didn't take but a few minutes to get Woo. So, uh, Mr. Brooks, you brought up vehicle-borne IEDs or VBIEDs earlier mm -hmm. and the threats that we faced in our previous conflicts. What threats do you foresee defenders facing in an ACE scheme of maneuver? So, when thinking about, and I was actually part of an ACE working group before this became a doctrine note, and some of the things we definitely threw in there is, listen, the new way of war is long range, you know, very fast nasties that go boom. And you as a defender with your 1970s issue flak jacket are not adequately prepared. So when I tell you to build a shelter, I want you to really build a shelter. Um, but the new war is available to every airman listening to this podcast. It's called YouTube, whatever. Watch what's going on in Eastern Europe right now. Watch what folks are dealing with in Taiwan, all right? It's infantry supported by drones, and drones are now carrying explosives, and grenades, and they're thermal, and they know where you are. The, we will never eliminate the fog and the friction of war, but I'm going to tell you technology has made it a lot easier for the adversary to know where you are and what you're doing. So your training has to be focused on the realistic war that's to come. Um, we need to beg, demand that leadership provides you with the capabilities to deal with the new way of war and not the old way of war. It is really, really satisfying to set off a claymore. I know, personally. But you're going to be dealing with some just crazy stuff. You know, you need guns to deal with drones. You need guns to deal with snipers. You need guns to deal with a lot of things. But you need technological capabilities. You need armor. You need to understand that the threat environment you're going into looks a lot less like the World War II movies. You know, it's, it's a lot less Saving Private Ryan, and it's a lot more Modern Warfare too. okay? You guys are in danger when you get out there, and you're going to have to get your leadership, demand the policy, demand the equipment to deal with the new warfare. Uh, it's just, it's out there for you to see. So that's kind of how I see that. If I were a commander today, I'd be very, very concerned about my guys in three dimensions. You know, ballistic missiles coming in, if you're in the Pacific theater. I don't know what kind of defense capability we have. What I do know is that when I came in 
to security police, stingers were still a thing. By the time I was security forces, we'd had no more stingers. I've personally handled one, but guess what? I couldn't, you know, in a hostile environment, I'm going to have to sit there and read the directions on what to do. Uh, just like I've been privileged to, you know, fire off an AT4 at a law. Thank God the instructions are really clear, you know, pull up, boom. Just uh, remember backblast, guys. We tell you that for a reason. Uh, but you better know how to work your weapon systems. Uh, and you guys are the front line. You're going to be the ones who have to look at these things. Look at what's happening right now. You, you have technology. You've got video. You see what's coming. You and your leaders need to work to prepare for that. One great thing about, like, uh, I, I was just in there thinking about you, sir, when you were sent, talking about the technology piece is um, the person that's got to employ that sort of technology. And so one thing that our career field, I don't know if uh, you guys are tracking or not, but um, I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier uh, when we talked before about uh, we've got a weapons and tactics um, yeah. cadre, set of cadre that's training our guys now. And, um, when we were talking earlier about education and training, in my opinion, being one of the bigger things, we had to make sure we were squaring away. Um, and those guys always in any type of security forces unit has to be your best guys. The, the weapons and the guys training the guys for the fight have to be the best. And so uh, we've got a group of cadre out at uh, Fort Bliss now, and, and they've been spinning up, uh, spinning up weapons and tactics guys for about the last two years now, maybe. And so uh, I, I really, I really like what you said that about the technology, but I really want these guys to understand that it's only as good as that person behind that law rocket at AT4, you know. Um, and I believe that is coming through our inventory now. Um, just talking uh, to a couple. I would love to see it because, yeah, yeah. um, you know, tanks are back on the menu, boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Eastern Bloc. Huh? Yeah. Mr. Brooks brought up drones as an emerging threat in the current environment. Chief, have you seen anything from higher headquarters or any sort of standardization of anti-drone counter UAS systems that we might employ? Yeah, I've seen um, just inside of the... Uh, you know, in a nuclear command, those guys, uh, I think that purse wallet is always like, you know, pretty robust. And those guys, they have a, a, a real good fix on that. But of course, you know, everything money-wise. Um, here in AETC, I hadn't seen that, you know, flow down this way yet. Maybe the threat isn't there for it to be here with us. Uh, the resources that we're protecting don't demand it. You know, but I have, yes, sir, uh, seen some of the efforts in that arena. Um, I just was watching the news earlier today and about the Ukraine and open source stuff with um, they were using drones to go after some uh, power substations and all that sort of stuff. So, man, that drone war is nasty. You know, um, I can't imagine that one at all. You know, I wish it was something we could do, like, left a boom, left a manufacture for those things to keep that from, uh, to be able to get a better handle on that. But, yes, inside of those uh, Global Strike commands, inside of those those places, yes, I've seen some uh, some pretty good stuff that we've used. I don't know if it's appropriate for this arena, but, yeah, I've seen, I've seen some pretty good stuff that we used to take care of that threat, sir. And maybe the weapons and tactics program we spoke about education mm -hmm. earlier maybe yes. that's something that could be leveraged mm -hmm. or is it something that could be leveraged in your opinion mm -hmm. to help prepare our defenders yeah. for yeah. casual I, combat employment? I, I really believe so so um you know again full disclosure i didn't say it in the intro but um you know active duty i've got an identical twin brother and uh he's in your community sir he's a uh he's right now he's sitting in a command billet over in uh, warner robbins georgia but he's a uh, air battle manager so um, he, he deals with that ISR platform. And, and I remember when he went to uh, weapons school out in Vegas, I think I was at that rank, I was a tech sergeant or something. And I remember he used to always talk to me about like, you know, uh, what they did as weapons and tactics. And then he w became a weapons and tactics instructor. And I bought off on it wholeheartedly with the weapons and tactics program. So I was, I was very happy to hear about our career field going that way. And yes, 
So um, previous assignment, I was uh, blessed to have two of those uh, patch words in our unit and was able to restructure the unit with the training emphasis and the evaluation emphasis with that constant loop of evaluation and training. Um, and that's what I want to do right here. Whether that catches on uh, from that half level with the weapons and tactics, uh, we'll see. But we have a worldwide here next month, and I'm sure uh, our crew feels going to talk about that. But um, yes, I, I'm a wholehearted believer in, in what weapons and tactics brings to this fight right here, especially the piece you talked about when it comes to critical thinking. And then those guys are the big brain guys, I guess, in your community, sir. Those are, yeah, yeah uh, those are big brain guys that can supposed to solve the problems for our commanders out there. Who's, uh, yep. Uh, focused in that uh, other end of the spectrum of that fight. All right, so to kind of bring this all together, what can our commanders in the field and our defenders, whether they're an A1C graduating from te te technical training or their exper experienced NCO who's led teams, led squads, what can they do now today to prepare for this next scheme of maneuver, this next threat, these things that we're talking about? I know we talked about education, mm -hmm. some self-education, mm -hmm. how we give them space, but what do they need to do today? Walking away from this podcast, what advice could either of you or both of you give them moving forward to help prepare? Well, I'll start this one. I'll start. Let you finish this one. But for me, um, it's be ready to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Bottom line, like you're gonna, this a lot's gonna be asked of you. Um, I, I want those guys to understand in their mindset that this is gonna be tough. It's gonna be hard. Um, in the absence of or you're gonna you're gonna be out somewhere, and in the absence of orders, you're gonna have to figure out like what what does that mission command look like? What was the commander's intent? What does success look like? They're gonna have to run that through those heads and, and understand they're gonna have to do it by themselves. You know, um, we're gonna teach you. You're going to get in an environment where you're going to be solo out there with the captain's AWACS sitting somewhere in the middle of nowhere, you know. Um, so for me, I, I, I want those young guys that's graduating, stepping into our career field. Yep, We're going to educate you. We're going to train you, you know, but you've got to, you've got to understand that you're going to be put in environments where you're going to have to understand and decide and act. You're going to have to put the, your OODA loop together. It's going to be understand, understand what's going on, decide what to do, and act on it, you know. Um, so I'd love for those guys to understand that piece right there, sir. Okay, and Chief, I'm going to follow up with, I think there are four things defenders need to take away. Number one, take an interest in the tactics and strategy of your enemy. Get to know your enemy. It's time-tested advice from Sun Tzu himself. Uh, know your enemy, know yourself. Or if you watch The Matrix, Temet Nose, know yourself and then figure the rest out. The next thing I want you to do is I want you to get familiar with comms. I want you to understand how to communicate with each other whether you have radios or not, um, whether you have cell phones or not, what th there's one art that we've fallen away from, and that's that pace plan when it comes to communications. Because guess what? If you're paying any attention right now, if Starlink goes away, nobody's talking. Um, and you know, I remember the the Prick 172, and I guess it's now the Harris's, but. Um, <laughs> We place a lot of faith that they're going to work as advertised. And remember, they are built by the lowest bidder. Uh, this is not an advertisement for it. <laughs> but I want you to walk away from this understanding that comms are important and you need to start learning how to talk to each other when the radios and the Internet don't work. The third thing I want you to think about is Intel. Okay? We say Intel. Hell, our doctrine even says, for, you know, intelligence preparation of the battlefield. 
you as airmen need to get out there and start learning what the intel is. Maybe you don't have the clearances necessary to go really deep, but find out what the sources of intel are. Know, be aware, because once you're in the stuff, that is not the time to go, oh man, the S2 screwed us. He didn't tell us that the enemy had this, this, or this. Well, Seriously. you know, do a little homework. Serious business, right? Very much so. And then the fourth thing is, I think, for commanders especially, and your S4s, start thinking about pre-packaging, you know. I've been waiting this whole podcast to say this. Back in my day, um, <laughs> when we had to worry about four Connexes on a C-130 being all we had to sustain us for that five-day fight, um, right now the ACE concept involves base clusters sending out forces to these small contingency locations. You as security forces need to start thinking about if you only got one Connex on that one or two C-130s that's available to move forces, what's going to be in it? Um, you need to start thinking about your munitions palette. Uh, because we, you know, we have our plans and how much that takes, but in the ACE environment, you ain't going to get anything of what you need. So what can you get with you? The pre-packaging and the understanding of your logistics capability going into this fight is probably going to be the difference between life and death for a lot of airmen. So I encourage our security forces to really start thinking about that pre-packaged capability that they're going to take with them to the contingency location. And remember, you can't just plan to get there. You got to plan to get back. Mm. So I think that those are my four takeaways. And you know, I am encouraged. What I see with our airmen out there, y'all are smart. Um, for some of you, you're finally going to get to use those Xbox skills on a drone. So you know, I salute you. Um, but for the guys who are out there on the line with the gun, just know we are thinking about you. And you know, for the last two decades of being a security forces uh, defender, I can tell you. We have the hardest job, and it's only going to get harder because now the enemy has caught up. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Deciphering Doctrine podcast. This podcast is produced by the LeMay Center, mixed by Air University Public Affairs, and conducted by students at Squadron Officer School. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.